So I said while the earlier sections that uh, are there in chapter 1 and uh, chapter 2 up to verse 10, they've been addressed to the people that comprise the Church of God in Ephesus. They are things that are common to all of them because they are matters uh, and to do with God's redemption and their salvation and the joy that is theirs uh, as they're having been adopted as God's children, as God's sons, with all the privileges that come with that. Um, then being given a, an eternal inheritance, but then he hints at something which is a present inheritance, something to enjoy now as uh, those who are God's people. Last week we were considering how uh, in Ephesians chapter 2 down to verse 10, that absolutely foundational thing of our faith that we've been taken from death to life. And that all through God's working in Christ for us. So for everybody who is part of that, we're all equalized. We're all enjoying the same glorious blessings and benefits. We're all the same in Christ Jesus. Now at the end of chapter 1, it speaks of Christ as being the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all things. The church, which is Christ's body, which is referred to in other places in the New Testament as well, is comprised of all believers. From the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit had come on the apostles as the Lord Jesus promised he would, to give them the power and the utterance to be able to preach the things of God, they began to preach to the people in Jerusalem, uh, the Jews and the proselyte Jews who had come to worship. And 3,000 souls that day, it says, came to faith and were added to that group of disciples. That was the beginning of the growth of this uh, church, the body of Christ. And it continues to today. It's those who put their faith in the work that Christ has achieved at Calvary for our salvation, for us to be redeemed, to receive God's redemption, that we might be his and children of God and adopted as sons and all the language that is there and to be that forever. And that's happening worldwide. It's regardless of race and preference, if we want to call it that. Whatever, people across the world have the same glorious um, blessings from God through faith in Christ Jesus. <coughs> it's glorious. And Christ is head over it all. And he said uh, to Peter, and we have it recorded for us in Matthew, it says, I will build my church in the gates of Hades, will not prevail against it. So death, while it might come to us physically, can never take from us the life that we have in Christ. That's why we rejoice that Christ came and said, I give them life. I give you eternal life. I've come to give you it. And he confirmed that that would never be taken from believers. So all those who have put their faith in the one God has provided to be saviour, have eternal life and have it forever, forever, and are part of what is called the church, the body of Christ. Now, we can be walking down the street and we might not know who those people are that are part of the church, the body of Christ. So what Paul moves into here in Ephesians chapter 2, we'll see in a moment, is for there to be a visible expression today, as it was then, Let's stick with them. A visible expression then, he was saying, that the people who comprised the church of God in Ephesus were giving visible expression to this wonderful truth, that it was something to be seen for the glory of God and for the glory of Christ, that these believers would be together, united 
in their service so that they may glorify God. That's what we're getting to. Let's read the text together. It's uh, verses 11 of chapter 2. So Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through to 22. And uh, we'll, I'm reading it from the New American Standard. Uh, so it may be a little different from what you have in your hands. But let's read it together. Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. If you've been following this already, you'll notice there's a shift here in what Paul is focusing on. He had addressed the church of God, those that comprise the church of God in Ephesus, and he spoke to them of things that are the joy of the individual as a result of receiving that which God has given and offers in the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. They had the glorious things that came to them. But here he's starting to shift it, and he's, he's looking at something which is uh, about hostility and uh, people groups and how people groups that were separate have come together and how God and Christ and his work is able to overcome the things that are a division and he's driving at something here and this is the reason why we've called this little section a title for today called to unity it's a call to unity God is saying he has done this for you and you and the church of God in Ephesus, you're a whole bunch of different people. And God has brought you together and unified you according to the things that Christ has taught that you might serve together regardless of your race, regardless of your social standing and whatever else that today would polarise us. Our society is big on tolerance, so it says. I don't understand it though. Let me just stop on this for a minute. I don't understand culture and society's tolerance because in their tolerance they consider something intolerant you can't if you're being tolerant consider something intolerant does that make sense and christianity particularly is being marginalized and considered intolerant and that's not tolerance i don't understand it so um, humanity is just programmed in its rebellion against god and even as those who are the redeemed we can call ourselves we have this inbuilt tendency 
to gravitate to those that are the same as us. And by default, it seems, then there's this hostility. And you might say, I'm not hostile to other people, but it's there. The roots of it are there. And this section here is a call to unity for the people of God, those who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, gathered together in churches of God. Paul is saying, you by being the church of God are giving expression to God's great purpose of a unifying thing. That's what Christ had come to bring about. Now Paul, I have to say this, just as you might have seen it as well as we read it, just generally looking at it uh, from a distance before we get into the detail of the text. You might have noticed that the metaphor used in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, which was Christ being uh, head over the church, which is his body, which is a description of all believers, and we see that from other scriptures in the New Testament and what I've already referenced as well. He shifts it, and the metaphor then becomes a building. Now, for many, they consider that's just an extension of the same thing. But I'm hoping today, briefly, to show that Paul is not just giving an extension of the same thing. He's not bringing in another metaphor to describe the same thing. He's bringing in another metaphor for us to understand something different. And I hope we can get to that in a moment. There's uh, three words that uh, seem to be prominent in this section of the text. Reconciliation, peace, and unity. They're there. If they're not mentioned explicitly, that's really the, the core of what Paul is driving at in this little section. He says, having an awareness of who you are in Christ Jesus, as I've just said to you in the previous verses, he says then, therefore. Now, therefore for Paul and other New Testament writers in the Greek, they're vitally important. Therefore means that what is going to follow is as a consequence of what has been said before. So the consequence of being the recipients of all of the glorious blessings of the grace of God, therefore, the consequence of that is what we read in these verses here. He says, you're to show this. And you know it yourselves, that where there has been hostility, that has been overcome by the grace of God, and you're together with the people able to serve him. And I think there's a key thing in it. It says that we're able to access the Father. It's not accessing our Father in the verse. It says in verse 18, Through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. There's no accident in the use of the Father as opposed to our Father. All of us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, if that's where we are and we're resting in the salvation that God has given us, will take the prayer that the Lord Jesus said we should pray and we will say our Father because we know him as Father and the Spirit uh, is within us as it says in Romans, and because the Spirit is within us, we're confirmed that we're children of God, and individually we cry out, Abba, Father, Father, Father. But there's a distinction here, that the Father is a recognition of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and as a matter of respect, and the approach to the Father is part of the service of this group of Christians gathered together in this church of God, in Ephesus. Come to this in a moment. Therefore, he says, remember, <clears throat> therefore remember. Yeah, here it's said often we're to forgive and forget. 
Um, and sometimes we say that God forgets everything. There are verses that say that, well, in the Old Testament, God says, I choose to, I remember your sins no more. But I think in the matter of our salvation, God does not forget what we were before. He views us as being in Christ and he sees the righteousness of Christ and that overcomes what we were before because by faith he views us as righteous in Christ. So God does not forget what we were, but he sees us forever in Christ. I think that's the wonderful, remarkable thing of grace. So here Paul says, therefore remember. He says to us, don't forget what you were before. He says it to these people first. And we go back to, uh, into the book of Acts and we read about Paul's time in Ephesus. He didn't have much success, it was seen, with the Jews in the synagogue. So he went and he spent two years um, teaching uh, daily in the hall of Tyrannus. And it says that Jews and Greeks heard and they came to faith. And they would have been those that comprised the church of God in Ephesus. Paul was saying, remember what you were before. Don't forget it. Now, what we've been engaged in together as the Church of God in Manchester today is doing what we see in the New Testament as prescribed for believers in churches of God together, um, serving God in a particular way, is to come and to remember. Now, we're, we've come to remember the Lord Jesus. And he said to do that. He said, remember me. Do this to remember me, breaking the bread. Do this to remember me and taking the wine. Do this to remember me. So we remember him and all that he is. But you know, and we all know it, that part of that remembering is us remembering what we were and what we have become in him. So we're not to forget what we were. We're always to be reminded of God's grace and mercy to us in what we have become. And that's mentioned in, in these verses as well. You'll, you'll notice the things that we've, we've used to remember Jesus, which is the right way of describing what we did this morning, but we're remembering what we were and what we've become as well. It mentions the flesh, his body. It mentions his blood. It mentions his sacrifice, his giving of himself on the cross. That's the focus of our remembrance. And implicit in it is our remembering what we have become not forgetting what we were, but thankful to God's grace as to what we've become. Do this in remembrance of me. Now this, this uh, division, so Paul is saying, therefore remember that formerly you. He's speaking of a past and he speaks of a present. And you'll notice if you spend a little bit more time in it, that he speaks of things of the past. You were once this, once, once you were this, but now you're this. And he says, this is the glorious working of the grace of God. But he hones in on two people groups and it covers all of humanity the Jews and those who are not Jews now you'll know that uh, well hopefully you'll know that Paul was himself a fine Jew before he came to faith he had that very personal powerful encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, he didn't stop being a Jew by birth but he came to understand Christ to be the Messiah the one to fulfill the Old Testament promises and he lived his life then to tell others that Christ was the answer for everything. Um, he homes in here, he says, you were, and he's majoring in on Gentiles, so I think the, the composition of the Church of God in Ephesus was mainly Gentile people. Gentiles are those that are not Jews. And he says to them, look at it, you were once uh, Gentiles. You are still Gentiles. Formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, so it's a thing of um, your human heritage, that's who you are, 
called the uncircumcision. Now that's a derogatory term that the Jews would have used for us. The uncircumcision. That's how it had come about. By those who were called the circumcision. Which was something done in the flesh by hands. That goes all the way back to Abraham. The man marked out by God in his grace. And said go. And I'll make a great nation of you. And through your descendants. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed. And Abraham got up and went. And did what God said. And later God would come back and confirm this to him. And he said, I want there to be a, a sign of the covenant between us. And a covenant is more than a legal contract and it's more than just a loving relationship. It's the two merged, really, together. In a sense, there's a, a legalistic, loving commitment to one another. And God says, that's the way in which I'm giving myself to you and your descendants, Abraham. And therefore asking that you show a mark of this. And all the men are wincing because it's a mark of circumcision. Now that was to be a sign of the work of God in their experience. But by the time the Lord Jesus had come, and hundreds of years before that even, the people of the Jews had taken their external mark and their externalities of, their, um, of the way that they would live because they were so privileged to know God. So therefore, they, you know how the Lord interacted with the Pharisees and just pointed out their hypocrisy all the time. They thought they had it just because they could trace their lineage back up to Abraham. It turned from being a blessing into something that caused hostility of hideous things. So this uncircumcision here is what Paul knows himself. He would have referred to everybody else who wasn't a Jew, which was everybody else on the planet. Uncircumcised. And it was said with hatred. How quickly the things that God has intended to reflect the glory of his working toward us sometimes can be taken and bring in a hostility as well. He had said to Abraham, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. He's looking to Christ who would be the descendant who would come. And he would bring about a mark in the lives of believers. Not a, not a physical mark, though it would be evidenced in the way we live. And that was the challenge of the last couple of weeks, is that we have this salvation. We're marked out as God's and it's to be seen in our lives. Paul also says elsewhere in Colossians 2, he says, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. It's a removal of something to mark us out for being God's. Romans 2 verse 29, Paul gets at the point here about the matter of externalities and internalities, and it's even a word, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. <coughs> He says a Jew could have the mark of being a Jew, but they were not a Jew. They were not of the people of God if it was not an inward thing. I'm just going to stop on that for a moment and just point it back at us. We've thought recently about legalism and doing the things that give an evidence to what God has said. We can do that so that glory comes to us rather than it be to God. Are we relying on our own um, goodness, our own ability to keep the things that God has said and according to a standard that we think? If we are and we're relying on that, then we need to check that before God. Salvation comes at the point where we realise we can do nothing. 
We can do nothing because God has done it all and we can bring nothing to it. And we receive from him the salvation that is offered to us in Christ Jesus. And we embrace that and then we move on from there to step into those things that we thought of last week. The good works prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. So we give evidence then to what we have become. We're not doing that first. And if we are, then we need to search our hearts before God in the matter of our salvation. Notice he focuses here on the Gentiles, this Jews and Gentiles and this big hostility between them. Look at how he describes those of the Gentiles. Uh, there's a phrase, uh, far off in verse 13. I think far off is defined by some things in verses 12 and 19. Far off means you're separate from Christ. Far off means you're excluded from the commonwealth. Therefore, you don't have rights as a citizen of Israel. You're far off because you're strangers to the covenants of promise. And therefore, you have no hope and you're without God in this world. That's what it means to be a Gentile. The Jews had a very, very privileged position. They had been selected in God's purpose and plan to be who they were. And he says here, by, um, by inference, he says they were given Christ. The Old Testament speaks of Christ. The Lord, when he walked with the two disciples on the day of the resurrection, they didn't recognize him. says he opened uh, the scriptures and... Um, told them about himself from the Old Testament scriptures. They had Christ. And when he came, they rejected him because they couldn't see him. Separate from Christ. Excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, there was a nation that was gathered together under God. And as Gentiles, they were excluded. But that became an endemic, a nasty, hostile thing because you can read in the Old Testament how God said, you'll welcome the alien." not someone from another planet, you know, the person from another nation, you'll welcome them. If they want to be part of this, then you bring them in. But by the time the Lord had come, and when Paul was writing here, it had got to such a state that they were just keeping themselves to themselves. And hostility had crept in. Strangers to the covenants of promise. God had made repeated covenants down the history of his people. With Abraham, and moved on to the people with Moses, and it moved on the covenants to David and such like. We don't have time to dwell on those. But they were always with a promise that something was coming that was going to fulfill. They were an agreement that were pointing. They were agreements that were pointing forward to something. There's another word in verse 19. The word alien, as it's in my Bible here, it says um, you're aliens. So Gentiles are in a predicament. Far from God. Defined by all of those. But you know, a Jew was also far from God. They didn't believe any of it. Because the sinners were all far from God. The Jews are far off and that's implied by verse 17. Because it takes from Isaiah and applies this to the Lord. It says that he came and he preached to those who were far away and also to those who were near. So both Jews and Gentiles had to come to this point of understanding their failure to live up to the standards that God has set are required to be righteous before him. None of us can attain that. Only in Christ through faith. And we thought about that last week. Paul said in Galatians when he's trying to encourage people
people in churches of God in that region of Galatia. He says the law was, was given. He says it was a tutor to lead us to Christ. They'd taken it and turned it into a set of rules and regulations that gave an identity to their, to their nationhood at the exclusion of all others. And Paul's focusing in on this and saying, you were part of those who were hated by the Jews. But now you're together in a church of God with others who are Jews and Gentiles. And together, you're doing something glorious for God. That's the glorious working of God. They're brought near. That's what he goes on to say. He says you're brought near. You were far off. You brought near. And that is said to Jews and Gentiles. You brought near. This hostility is there, yes, but you're brought near. Really wonderful. Your fellow citizens, it says. The language is almost mirror image. You, you work your way through it carefully. It says you were strangers, but you brought near. It says you weren't part of the commonwealth. You weren't part of the citizens of the nationhood of Israel. But now you are fellow citizens. <coughs> you have all the privileges and rights that come from saying that you're of God. You're, people. you're the people of God. Then he moves on to something to say about the house, but I want to come back to that in a little minute. Verse 14 says that Christ is the one who came to break down the barrier. Now, quite often we run to interpret this to say it's breaking down the barrier between us and God. That's not what Paul is getting at initially in this. He's saying it's the barrier between Jew and Gentile. That was there because the Jews felt they had all the privileges and therefore they could hate everybody else. And the Jews and the Gentiles hated the Jews because they f felt they were an arrogant bunch. And they had this hostility there. And Christ came, not just to, to bring us to God. Of course, that's where it all starts. But he came with the purpose that there might be a unity on earth between peoples of all race, race and heritage and whatever. Broke down the partition. I grew up in Northern Ireland, as you can tell from my slightly Northern Irish accent these days. I lived in Belfast when I was studying. Um, and Belfast is full of what are called peace walls. And there are 99 of them that are still in existence. You can actually jump on a bus and it'll take you for a tour around them these days because there is a, a ceasefire that has been since 94. You can go around and be safe and have a look at these walls. And some of them are fascinating. I lived in an area uh, during my second year, which was way dodgy. Uh, but a little bit too close to one of those interfaces. Now, it's not a wall that divides a city. Um, there, there are just barriers of various different types at hotspots to keep separate. Um, Republicans, <coughs> identified usually as Catholic, and those that would prefer to be part of Ireland, uh, against those that were the loyalists who identified as Protestant, wanted to remain part of the uh, United Kingdom, remain British. In some uh, localities and communities, the tension between the two groups would become so great they would stick a wall up. The hostility is there still today. Of those 99 barriers of various sizes, some of them are 50 foot high, some of them are just piles of junk. Some of them are owned by the Department of Justice. Some of them are owned by the, and have been erected by the housing executive. Uh, some have just been put there by people and they don't know who owns them. Interesting, somebody did a study in 2011 to find out who owned them. 
And a lot of them they can't say who owns them. But they've been erected there to keep these peoples apart. And since the 94 ceasefire, a third of those have been built. So even when what we might consider was the major part of the issue, uh, where there was the agreement that the paramilitary groups would put down their weapons, still among these people groups, who are the same people, there's this need to erect a barrier so there might be peace. It's not the way God works. Then erect a barrier says that Christ has come to take down that dividing wall, to take it apart so the peoples can come together on equal footing and because it's all about the grace of God. None of us can say we're any better than any other. We are who we are by the grace of God. There's a, there's a park in Belfast, Alexander Park. You can go and visit this if you want. And there's a the fen- fence barrier partition that goes across it. And uh, as part of some, some recent things, they decided they would put in what they call a peace gate. So between the hours of, let me get this right, 9 a.m. and 3 p.m., they open the gates and people can pass through. Other times the gates are closed. God's not like that either. He breaks it down. wants people together to enjoy the things of God together. And that's when he moves then and shifts into this new metaphor, which is about a house. We've spoken about the body, all believers together, uh, seen in this uh, by God in the church, the body of Christ. We're all part of this um, that Christ is building. People are, take their place in that by virtue of the faith that they have and by virtue of God's grace. Uh, he says, uh, you're mine when you exercise that faith. Become a member of the church, the body of Christ. We're there. <coughs> but he wants us then, having realized that God has broken down um, these barriers between people, there's no place for it among those who are the redeemed. No place for it. And he says, therefore, regardless of your heritage, you're something new in Christ. And you're to come together into something which gives an evidence to that and glorifies me, God is saying, in the very things that you do together. So he moves in his language to speaking about a house. And it's intentional. And I believe, and the teaching of the churches of God is that the, the house of God, which is seen as the churches of God, for reasons I'll say in a moment, is distinctive from the church, the body of Christ. Those that comprise and have a part in the house of God and those that are in churches of God, of course, are in the body of Christ, but the two are not synonymous. And Paul very intentionally takes us here to tell us or to tell those in the church of God in Ephesus, look, you're part of something. You're part of something that is a structure that is being built. It's not a body, it's a structure. The language is all about structure, buildings. It's a different thing. And he's saying that when people come together into this, together then, they have their access in the spirit to the Father. So part of their service is to come before God. God had said to Israel, that nation, he said, I want you to build a house, tabernacle, then it's referred to as a house. I want to build a house and I'll be there. And you will come and you will access my presence through the high priest. You will come and access in worship. 
course, the individuals that comprise that nation still had their relationship with God. Like I was saying about the Lord's Prayer, I think that's what I forgot. Our Father, who is in heaven, we appeal to him in that way. So the individuals in the nation had their, their relationship with God, but there was something very particular that he wanted of them, which was them together to be in his presence. And it was permitted once in the year as a nation when the high priest would come in with the, um, the sacrifices that were, uh, were spoken of and said, this is what you'll bring. Entrance into the presence of God for one man once in the year. But here we have Paul saying, that which was seen as happening in the house of God in the days of the Jews, in the days of Israel, he says, has now come <coughs> to be something that can be enjoyed by Christian believers today. And he says, and you can be 